This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hey fam, welcome to another episode of Making Shift Happen. Today, I'm so excited because I have a friend of mine on for an interview. And just to let you know, I've known Sabrina for hmm, like 13 years plus. We actually met at a CrossFit gym that we both attended as athletes. And then, of course, we both gradually became, you know, trainers, coaches, whatever you want to call us. And I always looked up to Sabrina. Um, primarily because she had worked in the fitness industry for so long and, you know, she works for ACE and, um, I just, I've always highly regarded her. She's, she's a nerd like I am and I mean that in the best of ways, but I am so excited to have her on today for this episode and I'm so excited to introduce you all to her. So let's talk about Sabrina. Sabrina Jo, PhD. Uh, I gave her a hard time for that during the episode because we're friends and her PhD, she just, she just did get it in the last two years. Uh, she's worked very hard for it. Um, but Dr. Joe has decades of experience helping people find ways to help, to become physically active from working one-on-one with clients to leading group fitness classes to teaching and developing curricula at universities. Dr. Joe has always had a passion for supporting people as they start and maintain a physically active lifestyle. She's a graduate from the University of Kansas. Her research interests include understanding how the motivational climate influences optimal experiences for participants in various exercise settings with a special emphasis on older adults. Just so you know, her PhD is in psychology of health and physical activity. She's uh, <laughs> She went to the University of Kansas, so KU. Go Jayhawks, rock, was it Rock Chalk Jayhawk? I don't know, something like that. Um, she is also a Mayo Clinic certified wellness coach, as well as an ACE certified health coach, a certified personal trainer, and an ACE certified group fitness instructor. She's also just a badass human. I'm going to say that as a friend. I've always loved being around her and I've always loved picking her brain. And just so you know, because I'm going to just keep talking about Sabrina, so when she listens to this, hopefully she's, you know, rosy in the cheeks and a little little embarrassed. She actually helped support me when I was starting out on my fitness journey. So when I came to terms (laughs) with the fact that I wanted to go into, you know, coaching full-time, Sabrina was always there for me as a resource and as a friend and just someone I could bounce ideas off of and talk to because I was scared shitless when the idea came to fruition for me to pursue my own endeavor. So Sabrina, I love you dearly. I am so excited to have you on. Friends, let's dive into the interview. Hello, Sabrina, or should I call you Dr. Joe? (laughs) Please, please, just Sabrina would be great. Hey, I've always, I've been wanting to call you Dr. Joe for a while, ever since I heard about you getting your, your PhD. So congratulations. Thank you. You, I know. you have now called me Dr. Joe twice, so that's <laughs> And you're like, great, I'm starting to sweat now, Jen. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sabrina, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Seriously, I know this has been something we've been talking about on and off. And of course, I used to listen to you on your podcast with good old Maddie Scanlon yeah. back in the day. That was, <laughs> tell- that was a while ago. That was wild. Yeah. That was. What was the name of the podcast again? I think it was Tonos Radio. Yes, Tonos Radio. And it was hilarious. I love hearing you both. And I mean, Aaron and I, we always listen to you all. And like, it was just, it was nice because we had just moved away from Kansas City. We had moved to Denver and we were still able to hear you all and still feel like we were a part of your lives. So we loved it. I'm just going to leave it at that. So now well, I'm excited to have you. Thank you. We love doing it. And it was, um, it was sad when we had to stop. I, I moved away from Kansas city and it just became too much, but it definitely was a, a highlight of my week recording that with Scanny. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a good egg. <laughs> you both are. You're both, you're both awesome people. So today listeners, we're talking about motivation. And like I mentioned in the intro, uh, Dr. Joe, <laughs> no, Sabrina here. Sabrina here, of course, she has tons of experience, decades of experience, but she did also recently finish her PhD in psychology of health and physical activity with the focus on motivation. That was really a huge driver for her. And 
I know for me, you know, as a coach, that's something that I hear constantly from my clients and my athletes is just, you know, Jen, I'm just not motivated to do this right now. Or the seasonality, you know, of course, especially with the seasons changing, that can obviously impact. So today we're going to be talking about motivation and just kind of see where the uh, the conversation carries us. So, Dr. Joe, I mean, uh, Sabrina. <laughs> That's four what? times now. I know, I know, I know. I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> so let's talk about motivation. Does it does it exist? Is it a thing? I hope so, because I <laughs> did a whole uh, PhD around it. Um, yes, I would say it is a thing. Um, and it's probably a thing unlike what most people think it is. Um, because I think people associate motivation with willpower or discipline or, um, you know, punishing themselves if they don't follow through on a task because they didn't have enough motivation. Yeah. And um, what I studied in my PhD and my dissertation research was a theory called self-determination theory, which really focuses on the quality of a person's motivation. And essentially what this theory says is that the higher quality of motivation that a person has to achieve a task, then the more likely they are to do it and the lower quality, then the less likely they are. And so what I was trying to discover was, well, what are the factors that set someone up for success to have the highest quality motivation in whatever they set out to do? And I was specifically looking at group fitness or, or exercise in a classroom amongst older adults to see what, what type of um, environmental factors, we, we call it the motivational climate, what type of factors actually um, produce the most adherence and commitment to exercise in that population. What did you find? let's unpack um, that (laughs) or or maybe not so interestingly maybe um just intuitively the thing that had a huge impact was the exercise leader so the person who was directing and guiding them in the class made a huge difference how they actually set up the environment for interaction and learning Um, But also, very importantly, the other participants in the class have a huge impact on a person's motivation in that setting, such that when you feel like you're part of um, a group of individuals who are all striving to achieve a similar goal, and you all understand that each person has an important role in that, class makeup and you're all there for each other, you're all supporting each other, you're not comparing each other to each other, you're just trying to be there for in basically self-improvement. Um, and then also the instructor, which we call in research sometimes the important other. So the important <laughs> other person that you're kind of looking to for guidance, if that person is providing you with kindness and respect and caring and setting up the environment so that all the participants can feel that, then chances are you're going to thrive in that setting and be more willing to continue on and have commitment. I love that you talked about comparison in this context. Because it is so huge. And even if you're in an individual sport, there's still that element of comparison that's present. You know, even with mountain bikers and gravel cyclists that that I work with. And it's kind of interesting because my my episode that I dropped this morning. So folks who are listening, we're recording this on Monday, November 6th. And I did have an episode released today where I talked about the beauty, but also the negativity of going someplace that has your heart rate blasted on a screen in the front of class 
and everyone else's heart rate and everyone else's watts if you're in an indoor, in an indoor cycling class. And I have opinions <laughs> about that. You know, I can I personally can certainly understand how it can motivate folks, quote unquote, motivate folks or inspire them to work harder. But at the same time, there's that comparison element that can become so apparent. And then I frequently see clients come to me after they've tried. I don't want to call anybody out, but well, I guess I did call it out in in the episode that dropped today. But, you know, in like Orange Theory, for example, again, nothing against Orange Theory. But when or a cycle, a site indoor cycling class, they they go to these classes and then they beat themselves up because they're comparing themselves to others in the class and they just feel like they're not trying hard enough. Right. Always that not enough type of concept. And they come to me and explain this and how they're feeling. And they're just like, I don't want to feel like that anymore. You know, and I can't help but kind of wonder what an impact those types of classes can have, both positive and negative on the participants who do go to them. So I like how you talk about this. What's interesting in the research that I read to do my lit review and, and write my dissertation, you know, everyone is coming to a, a task such as physical activity with a different perspective, a different mindset. Some people really like competition. Some people it finds that to be motivating to compare themselves to others. And yeah. I'm not discounting that. Exactly. But what I'm saying is that in the research that I read, it showed even if you're that kind of person who likes the numbers and likes comparing and likes to you know beat everyone else in the class, even if you're that kind of person, if you're in an environment, if you're in a setting where the instructor isn't focused on that, the instructor is still focused on providing respect, caring, and participation among the participants and not, not pointing out the star performer. Yeah. So, but even the star performers will, will thrive and they will do a little better in an environment like that, even if they have that kind of personality, which I found really instructive um, and insightful because you as the instructor or the coach have a lot of power in that situation to set up the, well, well, the climate, the environment. Um, but you also have a lot of potential to enhance that person's individual motivation um, by simply doing a few things that really benefit the whole, the class as a whole. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples that you can give of what the important other or the coach or trainer or leader in the class could ha- could do to help with their community? Well, um, it's it's these are things that are pretty obvious, I think, mm-hmm. and pretty common sense, but they're still kind of lacking sometimes in certain spaces. So. Yeah. One of the things you can do is just show respect for every individual in the class. And that kind of ties in with kindness and caring. So try to learn people's names, try to smile and engage with each participant, not leave anybody out. Um, also, something that you can do is acknowledge and accept that mistakes are going to happen and not ever punish anyone for making a mistake. Um, Make it very known in your class or setting that mistakes are an acceptable part of learning and um, drive that home so that people aren't um, feeling embarrassed or odd about not doing a movement perfectly because that just never happens. Um, and we, we can encourage each other and we don't have to disparage each other. Um, and speaking of each other, the instructor can also make that environment, um, very, um, cooperative Mm -hmm. by doing drills or activities where you're actually engaging with other participants. Um, so whether that's, (laughs) 
the now I'm kind of a lone wolf, so I don't always like all this kind of stuff. But if you're in a if you're in a class and and you're leading it and you're say, hey, you say, hey, turn to the person to your right and you know, have a little eye contact, say hello, introduce yourself, and then enjoy the rest of your workout. Even small things like that can make people feel, you know, more adhesive, more um cohesive socially. Nice. Um yeah, so so some of those things are common sense, I think, especially for coaches who are really good and just get it, and they just do that naturally. But there's actually research on this topic that shows that that kind of environment actually promotes healthy motivation. Nice. Yeah, I love I love partner workouts too, or partner warm ups at least. Um, yeah. Personally, you know, I, I just really enjoy that, um, and I know I enjoy it as an athlete, even though. Sometimes I can be just a little awkward in group settings because sometimes when I'm in a group workout, I just want to be there just to get my workout in and, you know, yeah. sometimes it's just my decompression time. So communicating with other humans is not usually my best. And I know other people who listen to this this podcast, that resonates with them as well, just based on feedback I've gotten over the years. But no, this is really good. And, it, and like you said, it is intuitive. It might not be like a natural thing to do as you know a group fitness instructor or a leader in a group but it's nice to know that there are some things just to make folks feel welcome and maybe not elicit like a, a burpee penalty or something like that or some sort of penalty when you know someone shows up late or you know or whatever yeah uh, I used to dislike that early on in my in my coaching career like it just never it felt icky like it felt gross I don't know how to explain it like it didn't didn't feel like it was necessarily in alignment with what we're trying to get across with the, uh, the class setting, I guess. Yes. Yes. So, so all those things I just described have been shown to foster, you know, positive emotions and, and improve psychological well-being in these group type settings. But what you and I both just said, well, what if you're in a room and you're the you're the new person and you don't know anybody and you're not really keen on having you know a partner warm up with someone that you don't know because you're just you know you had a rough day you don't want to have to perform or be on and meet someone new you're just there to get the workout so i get it and one of the things that i studied in that self determination theory really there are three important factors um, tied to this theory that really bring about quality motivation. And those three factors are when you're in a situation when you as the individual have autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Yeah. Those are the big three things. And so if we're talking about motivation and we're talking about how I approach it and what I believe, I think that anytime you can give an individual the opportunity to have those three things that is going to bring about the highest quality it's also called intrinsic motivation you may have heard of that but when a person has autonomy so control over how this whole thing is playing out and in the situation of not wanting to partner with someone well have an option in your class i get it you want to be a lone wolf today you don't have to do the warm-up with a partner grab a medicine ball and and you know, let's do some hits against the wall or something. You don't, it, it's your choice. It's dealer's choice. So you have, a, you have autonomy in that situation, but you still feel like an important part of the group because you were given that option. And then competence, huge, huge, because if you feel like you cannot perform a task that you're being asked to perform, then you're going to feel, uh, you know, not, not very motivated to do it or continue, especially if you do it in front of people and everyone else knows what they're doing and you feel like you don't, no one wants to come back to that feeling or that situation. Um, so if I'm a coach and I'm leading a class, I'm really thinking about providing skills and drills that are appropriate for every individual, which could be different for everybody in there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a skill that takes a little bit of, of time to learn as a coach. <laughs> um, and then that third piece is the relatedness. 
And that just was what we've been talking about. So feeling cared for and respected by not only your instructor, but everyone else that's around you in that environment. Nice. I love it. I also feel like I'm having a little bit of flashbacks because reviewing these things and these, this topic in particular, it, it's very reminiscent of the uh, national boards that I'm studying for right now for health coaching. And I'm just oh, like, yes. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Self-determination theory. Oh boy. You're bringing me yeah. back flashbacks on my master <laughs> health coaching. <laughs> well, it's one of my favorite theories because it, um, it can really be used in any situation. Um, and it, it really does um, bring to the, the forefront the fact that if conditions aren't, um, what, am I, what am I trying to say? If conditions aren't set up optimally, then your, your motivation could tank. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's not necessarily your fault and it has a lot to do with your environment. And so in coaching individuals, I, I like to help them set up their environment so that they do have these optimal components of the autonomy, the competence, and the relatedness, because that looks different for everybody too. Yeah. And is that more, are you speaking to that more when you're coaching one-on-one -on -one with people outside of the group setting? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about that exactly. And and health coaching, which is different than exercise coaching. Yeah. Because a person could be working on really any aspect of their life. Um, but the the theory still applies and there's been a ton of research on it in all different types of um tasks and conditions and age groups and so it it it's held up pretty well. So I it's just my favorite theory. It's my pet theory. <laughs> it's your pet theory. Yes. What what attracted to you, you to the theory the most? Was it just because it did give people this empowerment or, you know, what was it? Yeah. Um, it just really, the autonomy piece really resonated with me the most because I've been um, a fitness coach for decades, many, many years. And I always, that was just always my approach with people. I, instead of telling them what to do, they always had a choice. They always had a say in the workout and just naturally, that's how I approach things. And when I saw, started reading about this theory, I'm like, oh, that's, that really resonates with me. Um, however, I will say that as a, a brand new fitness trainer, I wasn't always so um, understanding and <laughs> I didn't always have this approach, but I learned over time that um, when you give people autonomy, then they start to own it and they, they master it. And then and that's where the motivation comes from. No, I, that resonates with me so much, Sabrina. It really does. Because like what we talked about before we hit record listeners, we were just talking about like uh, Sabrina and I separately reflecting on when we first started coaching and how, you know, sometimes I know for me, I learn a lot and we all do if we reflect on our errors. Um, but we learn a lot from like our ways and how we used to do things. When I first started coaching, it was just kind of like a like I was understanding for people and I was trying to give them grace and ease. But then at the same time, I was kind of a little bit of a hard ass sometimes, which wasn't really in reflection, like wasn't necessary. You know, it's complete 180 to how I am now. And I know some coaches out there will think, look at my style and think Jen's being soft or Jen's, Jen's giving her clients an out. And to that, I say, you're damn right. I am because we, how good does it feel? when you're put down, you know, I mean, how good does it feel when you're not able to do something and you don't have that autonomy or competency? Like, it doesn't feel great. It feels kind of gross. And like, I don't want to feel that way. And I would rather people who attend my class or attend my, you know, mountain bike coaching clinics or something like that, just not feel it. So I'm glad you, glad Dr. Joe is, is, is talking about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. Indeed. Indeedably. <laughs> you're going to strangle me. I know it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to motivation, I know personally for me, then I've kind of changed my wording. Um, because at first, you know, I was kind of like in this place of like, ah, motivation doesn't exist. And then I was like, you know what, 
motivation does exist. It just might be a fleeting thing for folks. Like it might just, it might, cause, because we identify so much with motivation as being this feeling, you know, um, and it, it can kind of sometimes be an elusive white rabbit. But I think sometimes folks might place a little too much emphasis on that feeling of motivation. Like they have to feel motivated in order to spark action. So like, what are your thoughts when it comes to motivation versus action versus maybe even discipline? Or like, what are your thoughts on that when someone says, hey, I'm just, I just don't feel motivated to do something. I don't feel motivated to do X. Mm. That's tricky. Um, well, one thing I will say is that this um, elusive intrinsic motivation, because it is very rare, honestly, intrinsic motivation just means doing something for the, the pure joy and fun of doing it. That rarely occurs in real life. Um, and so sometimes if you can get, get as close to that as possible, that's kind of where the higher quality motivation comes in. And so sometimes we just have to do things that we don't want to do, that we're not motivated to do, and that's okay. Um, I think if, if we're talking about uh, an exercise program or physical activity endeavor, I think one we can do is we can take a step back, ask ourselves, why am I doing this in the first place? Um, if the answer is you're doing it for the original reason that you started, then it's probably easier to continue. But, but if your life has changed or if you've hit a goal or you're just bored, you just want something new. Sometimes that, that literally is what it is. It's like as a, a human being, we're, we're constantly naturally seeking growth and that, that means growth in any and all things we do and an exercise is no different. And so um, it's one of the reasons why uh, in my life I've done so many different things um, based around physical activity because I get kind of bored and I want to learn new things. And so you knew me when I was an aerialist for, mm -hmm. for a stint. Um, and so it's just, it's finding ways to move the body and physical activity that feels good, but is also fun. And I feel like I'm learning new tasks and skills doing it. And so I think that's something that we sometimes take for granted that as human beings, it's natural to want more. So we master a task mm -hmm. and we get pretty good at something. It doesn't mean that we're going to always want to do that forever. In fact, some of us, a majority of us probably who are really honest with ourselves, want to learn more and do the next cool thing. Um, and I think that's part of, if we embrace that, especially in physical activity, I think we can kind of help our motivation thrive by learning new things and trying new experiences. Um, and it might be something completely different and outside of what you're currently doing. Like if you're, if your mountain bike folks are looking to do something a little different, like yoga, for example, mm -hmm. um, it can add a new element or dimension to a current program that it just can spark a new interest and desire to learn more. hundred percent. Yeah. Even recently I took like an animal flow certification. Uh, course. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's kind of like yoga with dance and just your body. It's kind of cool. Um, and yeah. being like a historic weightlifter, you know, and, and I, I will always love strength. Strength is something I will always fall on. It just feels comfortable to me and it feels yummy. But let me tell you, animal flow also feels very yummy because you're moving your body in these ways and supporting it on your hands. And it's very quadrupedal and, and it's cool because that's not how we normally move as humans. And it was just nice to explore that and kind of learn a little bit more about that. Um, and I think it's important and I'm glad you did bring up yoga because that is something I wholeheartedly love when my clients pair that with the strength programming, you know, and, and even now to this day with Shred Strong, I'm looking to have a yoga instructor who's a Shred Strong athlete, you know, possibly put together a flow for after bike rides and stuff. And I think it's important because 
all too often we might get pigeonholed into something and and that's too bad because then it's like oh you, you it does it'll grow monotonous and and you you might hate life you might just not you might start not enjoying that and i think it's important to kind of reflect on like you know why are you doing it in the first place and what can you do to maybe expand it a little bit make it more interesting for you so yeah thanks for saying that no i appreciate it now what about what about discipline and you know when leaning on discipline versus maybe leaning on motivation to to actually do the thing oh i i, I just muted you i apologize <laughs> that was me don't worry about it okay um let's see that's a good question i i wouldn't necessarily call myself an expert in discipline mm. i actually don't even like that word yeah um it kind of creeps me out a little bit but um i do think that if you if you're finding that your desire or motivation is waning um you really have to get serious and ask yourself what's behind that. So it kind of goes back to as, as a health coach, understanding the why, uh, why you want to do something, but also why aren't you doing something? Because the, those two, the answers to those two questions can kind of help inform and guide where you want to go from there. And I know it being vague, but <laughs> um, I just think that, we need to give ourselves permission um, to not do something if we're just not into it anymore. Um, as long as we're still taking care of our health and our bodies in in the ways that we want to. Um, so, I mean, as some, so I'll give myself an example. The um, the, the aerialist thing. I did that for many years. Um, and it was so fun and it was a blast and I loved performing. I loved my aerialist um, team that I, that I worked with, but at some point, because I was getting older, it was getting harder and harder to stay in the, the shape that I needed to stay to feel safe in the air. Mm -hmm. And I just really had to, you know, very seriously ask myself, why am I doing this? It's starting actually to not be fun. It's starting to be scary. And that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> yep. So I, you know, I, I had, it was hard, but I had to, you know, cause I had an identity around, Hey, I'm this cool aerialist. Mm -hmm. But at some point I just had to be honest with myself and um, realize that the, the reasons that I started doing it were no, weren't there anymore. It wasn't fulfilling to me anymore. And that's probably why my motivation was, was lagging. Um, so I think if we can be honest with ourselves and allow ourselves to grow and adapt as our lives change or that we get older, um, and just accept, have some self compassion and acceptance around the fact that life does change. And so do our skills and abilities. Um, that's not easy to do, but I think it's important. <laughs> hundred percent. I know for me, I can come at it from the CrossFit angle, you know, and yeah, great. I used to do multiple muscle ups. I used to do weight at muscle ups. I used to do butterfly pull ups and like just more advanced skills, you know? And then now that I've kind of taken away, I'm, I still coach part-time CrossFit because I do love it as a, as a social aspect and it's just fun and it keeps me fresh looking at people and their movement quality it keeps me fresh as a coach. But you know, there came a time and a place where I was just like, I kind of don't want to feel a little bit more beaten up for my bike rides because my bike rides became my priority. And it was just a matter of like, the older I got, the more I was just like, you know what, I can still do CrossFit. I'll do it at about 60%, maybe 80% intensity, you know, and not a hundred percent intensity. And you just kind of had a, you had a, you had a reason with yourself, reason with myself. And I do agree with you about the word discipline because sometimes I, while I understand where people are coming from when it comes to discipline, it also just makes me feel like there is something that you're doing wrong if you're not disciplined enough to do something and show up. And it just makes you feel more guilty. And while I understand where it's coming from, it just feels very uh, militant. 
to some degree, you know, and, and that's, I think where it might feel a little icky for some of us, you know, who are just like, no, we need to have a little bit more self-compassion and understand that there's seasonality with all of this. So thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think we're on the, the same page there. It just feels icky. Yeah, no, <laughs> I totally get it. So, um, what about goals? You know, like if you do have some goals that are in alignment with, you know, your motivation and kind of what you're doing, um, what if a goal isn't necessarily panning out kind of like motivation with something, you know, if a goal isn't necessarily panning out, like, how do you usually pivot around that? Is it just the, a point of reflecting upon that kind of like with motivation? Yeah. So goals are important. Um, they help define the task. They help define the process to get to the end, whatever your goal, your ultimate goal is. Um, but I also view pursuing goals as an experiment and I view reflecting on a weekly basis, how that experiment went so that I can adjust and modify for success. And I do that with myself and I do that with clients, um, because just because I or my clients collaborated on a goal and we set this goal and we laid it all out and it seemed beautiful on paper. We tried it for a week or two weeks, life got in the way and it didn't work out. I'm not a failure and my client's not a failure. What happened was we learned that we didn't really have the right goal because we didn't have all the information when we set out to make that goal. And the only way you get information is to live your life. <laughs> so yeah. while I do think goals are important, I, similar to the discipline thing, you have to give yourself permission to constantly reflect, adjust, and make whatever the goal is work for you, or give yourself permission to change the goal. Sometimes the goal was just too damn ambitious. <laughs> and <laughs> you just don't know that until, you know, you get into it. But yeah. I like, um, I like the idea of giving myself and giving clients permission to um, experiment and modify and change uh, when it feels necessary. Yeah. Redefine the goal. You know, just because it's your goal doesn't mean that it's set in stone. Nothing's really set in stone, honestly. And I right. think that's really important is just trying to remain fluid. I'm glad you said something like that because, yeah. I will say from now, for right now, I have a really ambitious goal. In fact, it's so ambitious. I don't even want to say it out loud yet. The only people that really know are like the coach that I'm hiring for myself because I'm actually hiring a coach, which is so exciting because I haven't had a coach in like three years now. Personal uh, coach. Yeah. Oh, I, I cannot wait. So I'm hiring him and it's actually my first time working with a, with a male coach. So, I, you know, not to assign, you know, male, female, whatever, but it is a different energy. Um, so I'm excited about that, but the only people that know really are my coach and like one close friend and Aaron. <laughs> so I don't want to say it yet on this podcast. I'll, I'll share it with you afterwards. After we hit, after we hit start, okay. recording. It, it does, it feels a little too ambitious. Ah. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I have some clients who sometimes go through this and they're like, man, is this, is this possible? And of course for them, I'm an outsider, but I also know what they're capable of. I, I truly know what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they don't see what they're capable of. And, and it's kind of interesting because it's, it's like you still want to remain fluid, but you also don't want to put yourself in this, in this, not impossible. I don't want to use the word impossible, but just this, oh, what's a word other than impossible? Because it's still possible, but it's just going to be, it's going to be freaking hard. Sabrina, like it's going to be so hard, but you know, we're trying to break it down into those process goals. Like you talked about, like, okay, you know, great. That might be race a, my a race, but like, let's look at my B and C races to prep for that. Like those are still really exciting goals. And I think it's really important to kind of break down that overarching big hairy goal it might be a little audacious into like those process goals and pursue the scary thing, but do, do some some smaller scary things on the way. <laughs> yeah, doesn't negate I mean, it. That's what the that's what's interesting about goals is um, 
well, competition, I will say. Like if you're an athlete, if you've got a if you've got a serious goal where you're gonna compete, then at some point you're just gonna have to put in the time and being real flexible with your tasks probably isn't realistic if you actually want to hit the goal. So then, you know, that really requires a very strong why. Like you you better really identify with and understand why you're doing this so that you can constantly remind yourself when the the task gets really hard. Um, But for competition specifically or performance, let's say, you know, that's an important part of goal theory, not only announcing, hey, this is my goal to people and Mm -hmm. they'll hear it and hold you accountable, but but also um, scheduling that, you know, 5K, scheduling that performance where you're going to be on stage, you know, whatever. There's a date in the books. It just got really real. Um, And sometimes that really snaps focus into a very clear perspective so that um, instead of just kind of thinking around, thinking about it, tinkering with the idea, oh, I'm going to schedule a race to schedule an event that's, I don't know, 16 weeks away. Well, all of a sudden, everything just got a lot more serious. (laughs) It's true, though. It's so true. Because I even found that with myself when I said it out loud, because I had been thinking about this thing in this race for like, no joke, 10 years like 10 years, Uh almost 10 years that I've lived here. And I just kept putting it off like, ah, no, not this year. Maybe next year. Oh, darn. COVID happened. Maybe next year. (laughs) You know, like it's just kind of like, and it keeps moving. And I'm just like, I'm not getting any younger. Not that I think that age is a thing, but it is when it comes to recovery. Cause that's the one thing that I've noticed for me personally. And, um, yeah, once I kind of said it and put it out in the world, then it was like, it became very real. And it wasn't this figment of my imagination. And I see that all too often with my clients once they say it. And they even usually accompany that statement with, I know this is probably crazy or, you know, insert whatever adjective and descriptor they want to use. But I know this sounds really wild. And I'm actually scared to say this out loud, but I, I want to do this. I'm like, great. Like, why? You know, why do you want to do that? And I think it's very important that you mention that is like getting really true and getting connected to your why is so important. So how do you suggest going about that? Is it as simple as just asking yourself, Hey, why do you want to do this thing, Sabrina or Jen, you know, why do you want to do this? Or is it a little bit more nuanced? Um, one of my favorite things, activities in health coaching is the five whys. Yes. Have you come across that? (laughs) Oh yes. Constantly. And it's what I force all my clients to go through. (laughs) No, I I don't, I don't force them to go through it, but I suggest that they do the exercise. Yeah. Well, Tell us about it, Serena. Well, it's just, you know, you ask if I were coaching someone, and you can do this with yourself on a piece of paper. Say you have a goal and you ask yourself, well, why do you want to do this? So I want to become more physically active. Why? Well, because I know that it's good for my health. But why? Well, I know that if I have better health, then I'll be able to do things simpler without pain. Well, why is that important? Because I don't like pain and I want to be able to function as well as possible for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, why, why do you want to function for as long as possible? Well, cause I want to be around and I don't want to have a poor quality of life as I age. So you can see where this is going. So yeah. what it does is asking the five questions, drills down what seems like a very on its face straightforward goal to the emotional component components behind it um and it often opens up a lot of values around the whole reason for doing this mm-hmm. because when you can tie an emotion and value around a goal it's much easier to connect with it um, and make it real Versus just saying, I want to exercise more or I want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one simple way. And I've there are versions of that activity that people can do, but I, I like the five whys. Yeah, I feel like it really gets down to the root of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you keep peeling back the layer of the onion, more or less, you know. And I know, I know sometimes it can 
be frustrating to keep diving in further behind the next why and behind the next why. Like I've even had clients be like, okay, I don't know if I can come up with another line, you know, of a why. And, um, but they usually do, like they almost always do, but it does come to a point where you're just like, man, how, how much more can you drill down to this? And I'm glad you brought up values because I feel like core values and just your identification with how you are as a human is incredibly important. And that's actually something I'm hoping to talk with my, my folks in Treadstrong about tonight on Zoom is just getting, getting clear on like, how do you identify as a human? And like, what do you align yourself with? And what are those core values from everything between authenticity and honesty and, and you know, positivity and imagination to wealth and health and fitness, you know? And I think we all kind of have those different things that we identify with. So I'm glad you said something like that. Did you want to expand upon core values or? Um, I think when you, when you really think about your values and identify them, it, it's kind of a relief, um, because there are activities, some, you know, self-assessment questionnaires that you can take to kind of sort out your values. Um, and I highly recommend that everyone do that type of activity. Um, but what it does is it, it really brings into sharp focus the kind of person you are and what you find important and what you prioritize. And it also helps you realize that there are a billion values in the world and I hold very dear a handful of them. And it helps you kind of align yourself with these are important values to me, but it also helps you realize that not everyone has your same values and that's okay. Yeah. I don't have to want what everyone else in this room wants because they're not me. And sometimes I find that to be very freeing um, because it kind of helps you learn about really who you are as a, a person and what's important to you. Um, and I was going to say something about values and... Um, living your life. And I, it, I spaced on it, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I, but that's kind of what I think about values in terms of the question you asked. Yeah. It really does help you live in alignment though. You know, getting clear on that. I feel like you can always come back to this. Um, And so often when I tell myself and also clients who are like, man, I'm, I'm having a scrolling issue, like social media scrolling. It's a very common theme. In, in my coaching practice. And, you know, and I try to reason with folks and say, hey, this is a natural process. This, this is a natural way to decompress. This is a coping mechanism. If you're feeling very stressed scrolling, there's actually nothing wrong with it. But if it is impacting you doing something else that might make you feel a little bit better, then maybe we need to reflect on this and maybe check in and just be like, hey, I'm scrolling right now. Is it in alignment with what I need to do right now or want to do right now? I don't like to use the word need, but you know what I mean? Like, is in alignment with my goals. And sometimes just reflecting on that is enough to be like, yeah, it's not in alignment, but I still kind of want to do it for a few more minutes and that's okay. (laughs) But (laughs) then it's also, it's also kind of nice just to be like, yeah, it's not in alignment with who I am and my values, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and stop and maybe do my, my workout or do something that'll make me feel good. So yeah, Yeah. it's nice to check in. I remember what I was going to say about the whole value thing. And that is that in uh, honestly that is the hardest part about setting goals and and understanding how to move forward with a goal or a task it's the thinking about it that there's this initial work it's hard work but if you do it up front if you ask the the five whys if you understand what your values are it really does help you move forward because all day long you're making decisions and if you kind of know the set core values that are important to you the decisions you make can reflect that but if you've never done an exercise where you've never really identified what your core values are then you're just making decisions right and left with no real basis on why you're doing it and sometimes um that's the beauty of health coaching I think is that you can help someone understand and uncover things that they haven't thought about 
in years or ever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Determining your values. Yeah, it's scary, but it's also so, it's so igniting. It's so like illuminating. Yeah, it's such a cool practice, but it does kind of dial it down. I always have difficulty dialing it down to like three. I'm like, I feel really good with five. Three, <laughs> however, is, is sometimes it's difficult. It's possible, but it's still pretty difficult. So yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, Sabrina. I really appreciate it. It's been such a You're joy so having you on. Welcome. I'm so glad we got together and we finally connected. This has been I great. Know. This is so awesome. I know I could talk about it forever, but I also don't want to keep you. Um, but if you could tell your tell my listeners, you know, how can they find you? How can they maybe follow your science Saturdays or other similar posts that you do for, for the American Council of Exercise? Yeah, well, my handle on all platforms is at Sabrina Joe. Um, so yeah, feel free to connect with me over there on all the socials. Yes, and you can see all the ins and outs of Sabrina. And just, I love, I love the the science posts because it, you do such a fantastic job just boiling down something, you know, and just fantastic understandable terms and then of course you link it if people want to explore it on their own so thank you for that and I'm glad I'm glad you're you're doing that and you're just a part of all of this and it was so great touching base with you and seeing your face I know you, listeners you can't see your face but it's a good face <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much and I I'm so glad we got a chance we haven't connected in a while so it's been I great know. talking you know same all right we'll catch up later Listeners, thanks for joining. Uh, join us next week. I'll have another episode. For now, like, comment, share on social media. I would love to see what you think of this episode and what your big takeaways are. All right. Hugs to you all. Have a beautiful day. See you next week.